0: Well good morning. Let me start by asking you a question. What would you do right now for $10,000? What would you do for (laughs) $10,000? Some people said anything. (laughs) Unfortunately that's the reality isn't it? You know people are willing to do crazy things for money. A few years ago in the United States there was a radio program, and they asked that question, what are you willing to do for $10,000? And people wrote in, and the guy who won the contest was a a guy from Illinois by the name of Jay Guatney. Jay Guatney agreed to eat an 11-foot birch tree, leaves, roots, bark, everything for $10,000 and so they brought him into the studio they brought him this 11 foot birch tree they took all the leaves off they put it into this great big salad and they gave him some thousand island dressing to get it down with and he ate the whole thing cut it up into little pieces and ate the whole thing over a 24 hour period of time afterwards he complained of having a really sore stomach I bet <laughs> would you eat an 11 foot birch tree for $10,000? well let me ask you a question What would you do for a million dollars? A few years ago, some guys wrote a book called The Day America Told the Truth. And in that, in the United States, they sent out a survey. And this is what people were willing to do for a million dollars. 25% of the people they interviewed would abandon their family. 23% would become a prostitute for a week. 16% would give up their citizenship. 16% would leave their spouse. 10% would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. 3% would put their children up for adoption. I guess it depends on the day with that last one, right? Uh, The reality is, is that people will do seemingly anything for money. Maybe you've heard that old story of the rich man who's at the dance, and he's dancing with this attractive young lady. And as they're dancing, he leans over and he whispers in her ear, Would you sleep with me for a million dollars? And the girl smiles back and she answers, Yes, I would. And after a while, the man whispers back, Well then, would you sleep with me for $20? And the girl looks at him and she says, What kind of a girl do you think I am? The man says, We've already established what kind of a girl you are. Now we're just haggling over the price. There's a reason why people will will do anything for money. I mean, if you just look at all the, the, the TV shows that they have, how people will go on wipeout and risk near death. You know, in order to win the money, how people will parade themselves on reality TV show with the hope of winning money. Why is it that people will do so much? It's because they think that the more they have, the happier they will be. The more money that they have, the more content and the happier they will be. That's the reason for it. You see, in America and in Canada today, we are affected by a disease. It's not the disease of influenza, which is the flu, which millions of people die from every year. It's the disease of affluenza. Meaning that we believe that if we just have a little bit more, we will be happy. And we are willing to go to great lengths. We are willing to kill ourselves in order to achieve it. That elusive dream of happiness. We all know what the signs of the flu are, right? You get sick and you throw up. But what are the signs of affluenza? Some of the signs of affluenza are a little bit harder to diagnose. It's the desire for more and more, despite what we already have. If you are never contented, if you are always thinking, if I have just a little bit more, just a little bit more, then maybe you have affluenza. An insatiable drive to be successful without ever experiencing contentment. If I can just get that promotion, if I can just get to that next level, then I'll be happy. A consistently choosing career over family. An unchecked yearning for more possessions and wealth. An unwillingness to settle for less than the best of everything. If it's new, I have to have it. Affluenza has deadly consequences. It kills us. It destroys relationships. It strains us. And, and let me tell you something. Money is a terrible master. If you make money your master, you will realize very quickly it is an unrelenting slave driver. The key to happiness in life is not getting more. The key is not allowing money to master you. The key to happiness in life is learning to master your money. If you can learn to master your money, then you will be happy. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, 24 to 34. This passage talks about worrying, but it relates to mastering your money. Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. This is what it says. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. This passage says a number of things about how to master your money. Number one, it says if you're going to master your money, number one, you need to recognize the source of your anxiety. You have to recognize where that worry, where that anxiety really comes from. Verse 25 says, Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life much more important than food and the body more important than clothes? When we lived in Kuwait, there was uh, only really two English radio stations that we got. And the one that we listened to all the time was Armed Forces Radio. And it came out of the military base. And on Armed Forces Radio, they had this talk show with a guy by the name of Tom Jerner. And Tom Jerner would always come on and he would start his show by saying that he was the hardest working man in radio. And I always wondered about that. How can you say you're the hardest working man in radio? But you know what? One day I read a newspaper article about his life. Tom Journer was making $700,000 a year. Anyone here want to make $700,000 a year? That's not bad, eh? Well, before you desire his life, let me just tell you what a day in the life of Tom Journer was really like. Listen to this. He wakes up every morning at 3.30 a.m. At 5.30 he's on the air I'm Dallas, K104, for a a three-and-a-half-hour morning drive show talk. At nine o'clock, he's on his way to the airport. He goes directly to the gate. He flashes his American Airlines air pass. He sits down in first-class seat 4A of flight 360 to Chicago, carrying only his briefcase and his lunch. Two hours later, a, li- a limo picks him up at the Chicago airport, rushes him to a health club for a quick workout, and then he's off to the radio station where he's on the air in Chicago from two o'clock to six o'clock. Then he's back to the airport. His plane lands at nine o'clock in the morning and he- or nine o'clock in the evening, and he's at bed by eleven o'clock. And he's up the next morning at three thirty to do it again every day. Would you want to drive yourself to that kind of a life? When asked, Tom said that the reason he did it, the reason he kept that kind of a driving schedule is because he wanted his children to have all the stuff that he didn't have growing up. In other words, it was just plain old fear. Plain old fear that they wouldn't have enough. And it seems crazy. That someone like Tom Jerner would worry about that, but don't we all worry about that? Aren't we all secretly just a little bit afraid that we won't have enough, that we won't be able to feed our children, that we won't be able to, to provide nice things for them? It's plain old anxiety that sometimes drives us to get more and to get more and to get more. Number one, recognize the source of your anxiety. But Number two, rest through faith in God's provision. This passage says, look at the birds. They don't have investment accounts. They don't have stock market portfolios. They don't have enough food for tomorrow. And yet God provides on a daily basis for them. And now listen, I'm not telling you you don't have those things. I'm not saying you shouldn't have investments and you shouldn't have savings and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that if you look at the world around us, you see the principle that God is faithful that God is faithful, that God provides for the needs of His children. We overcome the scarcity mindset with faith. Faith that God is who He says He is, that He is Jehovah Jireh, and that God can supply all of our needs, not all of our wants, but certainly God can supply all of our needs. One of the books that's really impacted me, I've read many books in in my life that really impacted me, but one of the the greatest books I ever read was a book written by a guy called George Mueller. George Mueller, more than a hundred years ago, opened up all kinds of orphanages in Europe. And these orphanages were run on faith, on the goodwill, on the generosity of other people. And really, when you read the accounts of what George Mueller went through, how he would just open up an orphanage and bring in these children, and he had no money, and he had no, sometimes they had no food, and they would literally have to pray in the day's meal. Let me read you a, an account from that book. It says that during the next three years, Mr. Mueller literally fed the orphans out of God's hand. The supply was almost like manna, in that it had to be gathered each day afresh. There was scarcely anything left over from one day to the next. Often money had to be prayed in before breakfast could be eaten or the evening meal finished. And you read these accounts and it was amazing. There was a time when George Mueller was woken up in the morning and the kitchen staff said, Mr. Mueller, we have no food. We have nothing to give the children for breakfast. Should we just tell them there's no breakfast? And Mr. Mueller says, "No, I believe that God will provide." And so they woke up all the kids as they normally did. They have all the kids come down to the kitchen. They had all the or the, the the eating area, the dining room. They had all the kids sit down at the table. They had no food. They had nothing to give them. And yet they still had all the kids come, and all the kids sat down at the table. And while the kids were seated at the table, Mr. Mueller stood up and he began to pray. And he simply prayed that Jehovah Jireh, the God who would provide, would provide for them for that meal for that day. And as he was praying, as he's praying, there's a knock on the door and he walks outside and here there's a guy with a horse-drawn carriage and the carriage had broken down right in front of the orphanage and it was full of milk and it was full of food and the guy said, well, I was taking this stuff off to market but the carriage is broken. There's no way I can get it fixed in time. All the food is gonna spoil. Could you use it? And they literally brought it in from the, 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 the cart into the kitchen as the kids are sitting there and that's what they ate for their breakfast and it was like that every single day God always provided not one time did they have a meal where God did not provide for them you see you do that once or twice or a month or a year and pretty soon you begin to rely upon the faithfulness of God I learned this lesson when Naomi and I lived on the dulas on the ship You know, we would be in a port, and we would be stuck there. The director would come on the radio, and he would say, You know what? Our ship is supposed to sail this afternoon to go to such and such a port. But the problem is, is the doctor has had to leave. And the ship is not by law allowed to sail without a doctor. So unless a doctor shows up, within the next couple of hours, we are going to miss our appointment in the next country that we're supposed to be visiting. And I would say to myself, a doctor is going to show up? I mean, who's going to walk onto a ship and say, Oh, by the way, I'm here. I'm a doctor. I have a couple of weeks to spare. You know, take me. I'm yours. It's like, that's not going to happen. We might as well just call the next country. Tell them we're not coming. We're, going to, we're stuck here where we are. And I didn't have any faith. And yet I prayed like everybody else. I prayed that morning. Someone walked onto the ship. You know, I felt led to come this morning. I'm a doctor. I'm here. I got a couple of weeks to spare. Could you use me? The ship left on time. They got to the next country on time. Everything worked out. I mean, we saw that happen so often, so many times. After a while, you just begin to realize that God is faithful. That God knows how to supply the needs of His children. If God can feed a sparrow, He can feed you as more. I know you eat more than a sparrow, okay? But God is able to provide for your needs. Not all your wants, but certainly all your needs. Rest through faith in God's provision, number two. But number three... Refuse to base your happiness on possessions. Jesus would have made a terrible information host, you know. He would he would not have done very well on on you know the shopping channel. You know, all these gurus of, of success like Tony Robbins who say, you know, in order to be happy in life you just have to make more, you have to succeed more, you have to do more if you're going to be successful in life. Jesus turned that around and he said, you know what? If you want to be happy in life, it's not about making more. It's about living off less. Jesus said this in Luke 12, 15. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. In other words, it's not the stuff you have that makes you happy, ultimately. If more stuff made you happy, the world would have no millionaires. Because they would have reached contentment long before they became millionaires, right? Actually, history shows us that some of the most miserable people on earth have been the people that had the most. If you ever seen the movie The Aviator, it's about a guy by the name of Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes at one time was the richest man on earth. A few years ago there was an article in Leadership Magazine. This is how they described Howard Hughes. All he ever wanted in life was more. He wanted more money and so he invested his inherited wealth into a billion dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame and so he broke into the Hollywood scene and he soon became a filmmaker and a star. He wanted more sensual pleasure and so he paid huge sums of money to indulge in every urge. He wanted more thrill and so he designed, built and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power and so he secretly dealt political favor so skillfully that two US presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted in life was more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. But unfortunately, history showed him otherwise. He concluded his life emaciated, colorless, sunken chest, fingernails in grotesque inch-long corkscrews, rotting black teeth, tumors over his body, innumerable needle marks from his drug addiction. Howard Hughes died believing the myth of more. He died a billionaire junkie, insane by any reasonable standard. Jesus says this, that no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted in one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus doesn't say there, you should not serve both God and money. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. It cannot be done. G.K. Chesterton once wrote this, There are two ways to have enough. One is to accumulate more and more, and the other is to desire less. So which world philosophy are you working on? Accumulating more and more or desiring less? Maybe you've heard me tell the story before of the businessman who went down to Cancun. And he was walking along the dock one morning. And as he's walking along the dock in Cancun, he sees a Mexican guy that's coming in on a fishing boat. Just a little boat and he had with him a couple of really nice fish and he looks down in the boat and he sees these nice fish and he says Senor, those are some beautiful fish that you've caught there how long did it take you to catch them? and the man said, oh, just a short time well, the businessman said, well, why don't you go out and catch some more? oh, the man says, this is all I need Senor, I just need a couple of fish to feed my family well, the businessman said, you're looking at it all wrong if you were to go out and spend the whole day fishing then you could come home with more fish to sell. But the man said, I have a very full life. In the morning, I sometimes go for walks with my wife. In the afternoons, I play with my children. and In the evenings, I stroll into town with my amigos and we play guitar. I have a very full life. The businessman said, no, you've got it wrong. Stay out all day, catch more fish, bring them in and sell them. When you sell the fish, you can buy more boats so that you can catch more fish. Pretty soon, you can open up your own business. You can cut out the middleman and start canning your fish and selling your fish directly in the market. Pretty soon, you'll have an expanding empire. After 20 or 30 years, you'll have enough money where you can move to New York or Los Angeles to control your empire. You can sell your stock on the stock market. And when the time comes, you can sell it all, and you'll be a millionaire. The man said, a millionaire? How long will this take? All oh, 20, 30 years is all. The man said, well, what do I do when I'm a millionaire? Oh, the businessman said, that's when you can move to a small coastal village and you can spend the morning catching fish and you can go for strolls with your wife and you can in the evening go with your amigos to the bar and play your guitar you get it? that's what he was already doing he was already living you see there are so many people in life that are trying to make a living that they're not living they're spending all of their time and all of their effort trying to make a life without living it along the way Rest in God's provision. Refuse to base your happiness on on possessions. Number four, replace your materialism with generosity. How do you kill affluenza? How do you get inoculated for it? Easy. You just become a generous person. There's an old Jack Benny skit jack benny television personality i don't know if you've ever seen any of his stuff he's years and years ago but there's this old skit where jack benny is there and a robber comes out from behind a corner and sticks a gun in his face and says your money or your life and jack benny just stands there and the man says your money or your life and again he just stands there and the guy said didn't you hear me your money or your life and jack benny says give me a moment i'm thinking (laughs) you know generosity destroys materialism you see stress flows from what you have the more you have the more stress if you base your happiness on possessions then if the stock market crashes or something happens you are in deep trouble that's why business executives jump out of 10 story you know business offices and kill themselves because they base their money on their possessions so when their possessions go they believe their happiness is gone as well. But Matthew 6.19 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It just depends on where you're putting your finances. You know what the key to this verse is? It's right at the top. It says, Do not store up for yourselves those two key words for yourselves it's not a problem to have money there's nothing in the bible that says you can't have money The issue is, are you using your money for God's kingdom, or are you using your money for your kingdom? Are you using it for His good, or are you using it for your good? Are you holding what you have in an open hand, saying, God, this is yours, I'm simply a steward of it, you can take it whenever you want it, or are you holding it with a clenched fist, saying, no, this belongs to me, and God, you can't have it everything we have belongs to God ultimately you know my mom lives with my sister in Ottawa and they've started going to a church in the suburbs of Ottawa and uh, a few months ago they did something very interesting there was a guy in the church that has quite a lot of money but he came to the pastor and he said this to the pastor, he said, pastor I want to give ten thousand dollars to the church but he said this is the condition I'm going to give $10,000 to this church. I want you to take that $10,000 and I want you to take 100 $100 bills. And I want you to give those $100 bills out during the service next Sunday. And that's what the pastor did. That Sunday, he preached a sermon like this on giving. And they said, who here are members of the church? And people stood up. And he walked around and he gave each of them a $100 bill. And he said, now I want you to take that $100 and I want you to pray about it. And I want you to go home and for the next couple of weeks, I want you to pray. What can you do with this $100 that you have been given? And then I want to take you to take that money and I want you to invest it in God's kingdom. And I mean, when the newspapers heard about this, they thought, this is crazy. You know, a church is actually giving out money instead of just grabbing money from everybody. And the week came when everyone was supposed to come and report and the newspapers were there and the TV stations were there and they had a hundred people stand up and report on what they did with the hundred dollars they had received well one person said I took it and I gave it to such and such a mission and it went off to buy food for people in Africa well another person said I took that hundred dollars and I invested it here in Ottawa in a local food bank Oh, I gave it to this family, I know. He's been without a job for a long time and and their kids are hungry and and they're going to use that money to buy groceries. And one after another after another shared what they had done with that $100 that they had received. And when you began to think about it and look at it, you see that that $10,000 that was given made an incredible impact on the community. An incredible impact. Let me ask you a question. If I did that today, if I reached into my pocket and I pulled out a hundred dollar bill and I gave it to you, what would you do with it? How would you invest it? Let me close. Anybody know who the very first billionaire ever was? the very first person to accumulate a billion dollars in wealth it was a man by the name of john d rockefeller rockefeller was the founder of the standard oil company in the united states standard oil would go on to become the greatest oil industry of its time exxon mobil so shell BP, you go down the list, Chevron, all these oil companies came out of Standard Oil. By the time Rockefeller was 23 years old, he was already a millionaire. And by the time he was 50 years old, he had become a billionaire. You would think that Rockefeller would be a very happy guy, right? At age 53, Rockefeller's health began to deteriorate. He became ill. His body was racked with pain. He was in complete agony. He could buy anything he wanted. That's a billionaire. A billionaire. That's a thousand million dollars. He could buy any bed he wanted. But he couldn't sleep. He could buy any food he wanted. And yet the only thing he could eat was crackers dipped in milk. He had it all. And yet his personal doctors told him that he only had weeks to live. That he was dying. One night Rockefeller had a dream. And in that dream, He saw his own death. He heard the eulogy that was given at his funeral. Someone stood up and said, John D. Rockefeller, a man who cared about nothing but money. He hoarded his wealth to himself. He used it for nothing. Rockefeller woke up the next morning and he made a decision. He said, instead of hoarding this wealth to myself, instead of that being my eulogy, I'm going to turn things around. And he started foundation after foundation. And he he became one of the world's greatest philanthropists. That means people who are generous with their money, who just give and give and give. He built hospitals. He built innumerable schools. He gave literally millions and millions and millions of dollars away. If you go back and you look at all of the significant medical breakthroughs, discoveries that were made through Rockefeller's money, it is absolutely amazing. He established foundations that led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. And the amazing thing, is that as Rockefeller began to give his money away, he got better. He started getting healthier. And the more he gave it away, and the faster he gave it away, the healthier he became. The more joyful a person he became. And John D. Rockefeller lived to the age of 98 years old. And it just goes to prove that there's something about generosity that's healthy for the heart, that's healthy for the soul. How about you this morning? Have you bought into the lie that more will make you happy? Are you believing that if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a bigger house, if I just had a better this, if I just had a better that, then I would be happy. Can I say to you, if you're not happy now, you won't be happy then. If you're not satisfied with what you have now, you'll never be satisfied with what you get. Don't make money your master, but learn how to master your money. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for all that you've given to us, each one of us as individuals. Father, that You are Jehovah Jireh, that Lord, You do supply for all of our needs. Father, as the crowds in the, in the New Testament days would, would listen to Jesus, there were people there that, that were poor, that they had no idea where their next meal would come from. There were also people there that were quite well off. They were quite rich according to the, the day and age that they lived. And Father, I recognize here this morning that we have a, a, a very different spectrum that we have some that have more than others, but Father, this principle applies to us all. Lord, I pray that as we seek You and we seek Your will for our lives, we would recognize that everything that we have, everything that we own is a gift from You. Father, help us to be good stewards of what You have entrusted to us. Father, we thank You for this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for closing song.